Hey, welcome to Life 2.0 Podcast. I'm John St. Augustine. Time to go up the down staircase in the outdoor. Make sense out of the senseless. If at all possible, find the obvious, bared in the absurd. Hold on to your lug nuts. Time for an overall. Glad to have you joining me one more time, literally from all over planet Earth. And who knows, maybe they're listening in the cosmos somewhere. You never know where these signals are going to bounce around these days. I hope all is well with you wherever you're listening, and I'm so glad to have you joining me. Um, again, a shout out to these people who subscribe to this podcast. It's, uh, it's a long road from where I started in 1997 on August 28th, I believe it was, 21st, 28th, something like that. Uh, and little DBC Radio in Escanaba, Michigan, the bustling metropolis of Escanaba, Michigan, in the UP uh, of Michigan. And um, they still have snow there. Well, it's starting to melt now, but my son lives in Marquette, and they've been pounded like $2 hamburger for the last three weeks. So it's one of the things I don't miss about living that far north. I miss a lot of the people who live there still, my friends and family, but uh, you can keep the snow in May, I'm here to tell you. So among the other things that I do, besides working on books for myself and other people and producing audiobooks for other people, um, I produce podcasts. You know, back in the day, producing radio shows, I learned how to do that for myself because I didn't have a producer. And maybe producing, I'm talking about the actual production of the show. Eventually, my first producer was Anne Marie. She was fantastic and of name and note, finding guests and things like that, getting all the materials together. But I'm talking about the actual production of the show, the technical pieces that go into it. And I can remember, <laughs> this is even before I lived in the Upper Peninsula, taking videotapes, uh, VHS tapes, with a two-tape deck and creating videos along with music or what have you off two-tape decks. Not easy to do. But somewhere I picked up this this talent, I suppose it was, uh, it was buried inside me about creating something out of nothing. And the technical aspect of even just creating this 35, 40 minute podcast today juices me. I get the biggest kick out of taking absolutely nothing on the chalkboard, blackboard, whiteboard, whatever you want to call it, and then filling that with something that wasn't there prior to me showing up. So over the years, I've produced podcasts, not always been on the air, but that has happened as well. I co-host with people, help them along that aren't as uh, well-versed in media as I am. And I produce these podcasts for people like my friend Candace Jordan. Now, CJ was Miss December 1979. And in all disclosure, I knew her before she knew me, if you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, I get to produce her podcast. And so I'm on the air with her a bit and behind the scenes creating the physical podcast, the technical pieces. And um, I've worked with uh, Conceivabilities here in Chicago, which is a company that is a surrogacy company that um, helps with surrogacy efforts for people who can't have their own kids and all that goes in with that. So behind the scenes, I'm not on the air, uh, technically creating all that. So over the years, a lot of different projects have come my way. And now I'm working on one, among other things at the same time, with uh, Awaken the Network podcast. Now that is hosted by Billy Dexter and Melissa G. Wilson. And Melissa G., Mel, as I call her, uh, I've known her since probably 2000, 2001, something like that. She was a guest on my show back then, and she had written a book called Angels in the Workplace about the many amazing things that can take place in the corporate setting, which is not something you hear much about. So we've stayed in touch over the years, 
And she really, I think, might be one of the pivotal people who kickstarted my career in ghostwriting. And ghostwriting, I have this article here, which is fascinating. Let me see. Is it close by? I cleaned my desk yesterday, so you never know where stuff's at. Uh, no, that's about softball. We'll get to that another time. Great article about 16 in softball. I'm hoping to do a podcast on that. Anyway, um, the article goes on to talk about ghostwriters and people like me who, you know, we've done our own work, but we're also here to help other people do their work. And it, it is an amazing amount of work to write a book for somebody else. I'm just in the final stages of the manuscript review for this book I've been working on for about nine months now with Randy Hunley, the former catcher of the Chicago Cubs, called Iron Man. And the heavy lifting is done. The physical writing of the book is done. Now it's revisions and making sure I don't miss too many, you know, gaps in the in the sequence and that the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted and all that stuff. Getting endorsements, things like that. But the production of the podcast part uh, is a lot easier on me because, I'll, you know, I got electronics that does all the heavy work for me. But it's the mental focus of how do you create this something for nothing. I'm not a musician. I love music, but I'm not a musician. So I'm fascinated to a great degree of how you create a song, for example. You know, like lyrics would come along, and to me that's like writing a book. But then you have to put the music to it and the, and the um, you know, all the orchestration that goes with it and the arrangements. And that to me is like the other part of the book of filling in the blanks per se. So this Awaken the Network podcast uh, that I've worked on, they're going in about their 10th episode. Interesting concept. The whole idea of being awake in your network is being conscious of the connections that are made along the way in your life and how you recognize those and how you uh, expand on those and how what you gives out comes back. Not something you normally hear about again in corporate America, that there's these laws that are basically universal. And no matter where you go or what you do, they are built into uh, your experience of being alive. And if you're conscious of them, things seem to go in a way that are more for your benefit than your detriment. You, whether you call it karma, it doesn't matter to me what you call it, but you can plainly see that there are people who have succeeded in life, and if you look at their pattern, their connected dots, there is a design there. There is a roadmap there. There is something there to be deciphered and looked at. And so we were doing the podcast, uh, we, we taped them on uh, Thursday mornings, and they air on Friday afternoons, and I, I highly recommend even if you're not in business, that you find the Awaken the Network podcast by Billy D and Melissa G. That's an easy one. It's all over the internet. You can find them. And so I'm producing those behind the scenes. And every now and again, I'll jump on with them if there's not a guest. And this one that's coming up in a few weeks, I'm giving just a little, I'm not going to give the whole thing away, but it started out as a casual conversation uh, with the state of Michigan as the um, common denominator. So both Melissa and Billy uh, have Michigan State University in their backgrounds. I don't, but I lived in the UP of Michigan, so we all have this Wolverine State connection. And that's kind of how the conversation started, and it kept rolling into something else. And that's just like life itself, is it not? You start over in one place, the next thing you know, you find yourself in the next place. And then you roll into the next place. And, you know, if you're really smart and lucky and you work hard and, you know, all the munchkins come out to help you on the on the tr on the path you know things really get interesting and my life's been that way i'm not any smarter or or brighter or better than anybody else and let's just get that fact put right out right now what has happened for me and what i've developed is this muscle or sixth sense i guess it is of where to turn left and when to turn right when to stand up and when to sit down when to fight 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 and 
we're having this conversation and the whole thing about mission started. And then Billy asked Melissa, well, how long have you known John? And she says, well, it's about the radio. And he says, well, how did you get into radio? What school of you know, broadcasting did you go to? I didn't go to a school of broadcasting. Radio found me. It was a calling that has become a career. And so I was recounting to him this walk that I took along with two other guys, Dwayne Kennard and Joe Johnson, back in 1996. And, you know, for me, this is somewhat so far in the rearview mirror that I don't really think about it much anymore or how monumental it was really at the time. But when I sit back and share it with somebody who's not aware of it, it becomes um, an emotional experience. It becomes a, a serious awareness piece for me. And it's an illustration, I guess, this particular show for sure, that we all have walks to take. We've all done it. Mine was a physical walk, but all of us on some level are taking a walk through our lives and being aware of that and not getting caught up in, you know, majoring in minor things all the time can really create some incredible results. And pretty soon that gets to be a habit, at least it has for me. So he was talking about it with me and he says, what do you mean you walk? I said, yeah, I walked from... Rapid River, Michigan, to Chicago, Illinois, and then back to Rapid River, Michigan. Again, and that's about a 1,000 miles round trip. It's a 1,000 miles because you can't walk straight. It's not a straight line. And while it may be about 380 by road, it's at least 500 by walking zigzagging, mostly across the state of Wisconsin and, and all these other stops that I took and, and these experiences that I had. And he was a bit dumbfounded by that, and I suppose... You know, it's not something you normally do every day. And I can tell you, when this all came on me to do this back in early 1995, it's where it started, uh, I didn't, wasn't real comfortable with it either. It's not something like, hey, here's an idea. I'm 37. I'm teaching part-time at the high school that I went. I'm thinking about going into education. And yet, at the same time, I'm in a business deal with a couple of pro wrestlers called the Road Warriors. And I thought that's where the serious cash is. Long story short, that doesn't work out. What I thought I was supposed to do didn't happen. And... It put me in a different direction to be more open to other things that I think the universe was asking me to do and sign up for. And so because of that, everything started rolling into this walk thing. And, and, and the, you know, if you've ever read the book, Every Moment Matters, my second book, their chapter 11 is called The Last 100 Miles. And it pretty much recounts a lot of what happened on that trip that at the time, you know, we found ourselves living in a motel. My kids were seven and five. I was married at the time, living in this little motel in Upper Michigan in Rapid River through all these circumstances that put us there. But it's how you respond to the circumstances that are more important than the circumstances themselves. And my subconscious mind had kicked into the point where I was having this recurring dream of walking every other day. I'd, I'd dream of this. First thing in the morning, right before I woke up, I'd see myself on the side of the road, backpack on, big beard, you know, stick in my hand, and on the left side, all I knew is the sun was on my left. And I was near water on this curved piece of road. And that's all I knew. Over and over again, this thing was happening. And, you know, I'm thinking I'm losing my shit at this point. Probably I was on some level. That's not always a bad thing. So I'm recounting this to Billy D and Melissa, who's already known about this. And Billy's just can't believe that a human would do this. I'm mean, look at, I'm not climbing Mount Everest here. There's guys who are blind that have climbed Mount Everest. That's something. While this was a thing for me and the people involved, it's certainly not of that magnitude. But in my own life, it was a life-changing series of moments, hence the title of the book, Every Moment Matters, which is still available, by the way, and it's in Audible. If you haven't read it, you can hear me reading it. It's on Audible. You can find it. Not hard to do. And 
even doing that, going back and reading that book after many years, let's say I wrote that, came out in 2010. So, you know, I wrote it, read it last year. So 12 years later, reliving those moments again, even changed the perspective as it is for me this morning as I'm doing this show. And the concept that the last hundred miles, the title of that chapter is where most of the lessons came for me. And I believe in my case, it's because it took 900 miles to knock the rust off me so I could at least be ready to accept things as they were you know, given or shown to me and offered up. And I think all our lives are that way. You know, we, we, we go through stuff and it seems to be repetitive. We meet the same people in the same places, in the same ways, at the same times, but they just look different in our life over and over again. And I think that stuff, at least for me, has been lessons that are repeated until they're learned and until you learn these things, you have to repeat them. It's no different than school. Life is a school in so many ways. So at the end of that show, I said to him, listen, uh, I still have the boots that I wore on the walk. Parts of the walk, I wore gym shoes, but for the most part, I wore these boots and I have them. They're here in my office. Uh, for a long time, they were in storage. Uh, and then they, they were, I think they were at my son's house for a long time and I grabbed them from there. And then they were somewhere else. But anyway, now they're, they're here in my office and they're, they're a reminder every time I walk in here of what it took to get me here, whatever this here is at this point. And the walk itself is where I literally heard this clear voice in my head and I'd never heard anything like that in my life say, go on the radio. I mean, it's like just an order, very nondescript, John, go on the radio. Like that's the answer for the, all the questions you'll ever have. No training, no experience, no background, didn't care about radio. I listened to ball games and radio music. That was the extent of it. And never once in any, any time in my life, high school, college, anywhere, that I think I'd be going into broadcasting, ever. Sometimes what you're seeking is seeking you. You just don't know it. And it may be in a, in a, in a way that you can't understand it. It's in a disguise, right? So here I am today, all these years later, building this podcast with people, in this particular case, the Awaken the Network podcast. And we're talking about an event that happened years ago in my life, but it's starting to come back to me like it does for all of us, that it just was yesterday. And the lessons from that over and over again keep popping up. So I actually sent, and if, you know, I sent Billy and Melissa a picture of my boots because they were, it's just picking them up again brought back so many memories. And one of the ones was, was so profound. There were so many different moments on that walk that have stuck with me. But again, I haven't thought about them for a long time. But in Kettle Moraine State Park, which is southern Wisconsin, southwest Wisconsin, if you're looking up from Chicago, um, I was headed on my way back north. So on the way down, it was myself, Dwayne Kennard, Joe Johnson. For a time, my father, former father-in-law followed us, and then he bugged out. He had to go back. Uh, but on the way back north, it was just me. And that was really where the walk started for me. It was like I walked off all the shit I could possibly walk off with these guys on the way down. On the way back, it was time to refill that. But there had to be a couple more pivot points where I dumped the rest of my baggage, so to speak. Kettle Moraine State Park. And I have a probably a 60-pound pack on at this time. On the way down, we had a van following us. As I said, my father-in-law at the time, we put everything in the van. So we didn't have to carry anything. So walking was you know pretty good. And we started the walk in September. It was right after my daughter's seventh birthday. So she's in September. So it was September. The weather was nice. We walk all the way through September, all the way through October. On the way back, I'm walking north in November. 
in the Midwest, and it wasn't so nice. But anyway, I'm wearing this pack now that's got a bunch of stuff in there, shoes and food and God knows what. Uh, I, everything you can imagine was shoved in this pack, 60, 65 pounds. And he yeah, was a big guy, so I don't know how I many you get used to it. You start wearing it, you buckle up, and you get going. And the beard's out to here. And, uh, you know, I got to tell you, on one hand, it was a great physical w- workout. I ate mostly, uh, you know, nuts and seeds, things I could carry, a lot of water. You want to talk about being in shape. I hadn't seen that body for a long time. Not that I'm going to try it again. It just was, at the time, was a great thing. So I get to Kettle Moraine State Park, and I make my way to this area. What was just, like, really high up as a bluff. And I sat there, and I kind of had an epiphany. I had a lot of epiphanies, and this was one of them. It was like, I put the pack down, and I thought, God, that was heavy. You know, my shoulder's a little sore, even though I'm getting used to it. And I started looking through the pack and all the stuff that was in there. And I'll bet you 80 to 90% of the things that were in that backpack, I didn't put in there. Meaning, my friends put it in in case I needed it. And I didn't know what most was. I didn't use it mostly on the way down, of course. And on the way back, I'm just carrying this pack. This is what you do. And the epiphany that came was most of my life up to that point. So I was 36, 37, somewhere in there. Uh, I think I was 37 at the time. Yeah. And I had not put any of that stuff in there. Maybe a pair of socks. Everybody else had packed it. And up to that point in my life, I'd been carrying around everybody else's shit except mine. Now, this was all well-meaning shit, no doubt, because everything that was put in there was with good intent. You might need this at some point, but I was carrying it. They weren't. And then I looked at the bigger picture of that, how much stuff I was carrying that was downloaded to me, uh, even though it might have been well-meaning at the time, but the beliefs that I held about politics and sports and religion and my life and death and all the stuff that goes into that, these were all these accumulated things I was carrying in this backpack. And so I started going through it, left and right, left and right. Take, and eventually I just dumped everything out of this big pile. And I look what was there. And even though it was November getting cold, I thought, I don't need most of this stuff. But I just didn't need it. And then I got a little deeper. I took my wallet out. I'm looking at my car, my driver's license and things. I'm like, this is just stuff of who I think I am at this time. These are just reflections of that. And it was getting pretty deep, I'm here to tell you. Now, look, I come from a time and still have, where we live here in Chicago, we don't put even ketchup on our hot dogs, right? So me growing up, even though I had a lot of um, uh, curiosity about life, it's not like I, you know, was ready to take a deep dive at any particular time, but this was a deep dive. And I do remember as a kid growing up that one of the things I was always attracted to were the Greek mythologies and, and all the stories of, of that time and how wisdom was really, really important. That if you're a wise person, life is easier. If you're not wise, it's not. Didn't understand that wisdom comes through pain for the most part. And you only get wise if you pass the test that life gives you and then you don't have to take them again. Then you've grown and then you're wiser. So wisdom to me is just a result of making bad choices and then making better choices, and then you become wise, you know, wise at that point. So a lot of my life, I started to fall in line going, well, I made choices here that weren't so good, but then when I came to this choice again, I made a better choice. I must have grown in between, hence wisdom was the result, a greater or lesser degree. I sat there looking at this big pile of stuff uh, that I'd been carrying around, and I decided I'm not going to carry it no more. I'm not going to carry it no more. 
And I went through and I decided for the first time that I could remember in my life that I would, here's what I'm going to carry. And it wasn't the downloaded beliefs of my mom, my dad, my society, uh, the things that had been imparted in me, going to church and hearing things I didn't understand, but you're just supposed to go do that. And you carry this stuff around and it weighs you down. At least it did for me. And later years, when I talk about this with, with groups of people and the trainings I've done, is to remind them too that, you know, we all have packs, but you're supposed to pack your own. You at least should know what's in there and that it wasn't downloaded from somewhere else just because they said so. And that you figure things out for yourself. And that you learn things on your own and that you break away from this stuff. And if it's for the betterment of who you are, not making you a worse person, but a better person, then there's value there. And I had not really thought of that concept till I sat there with that big pile of stuff. So a lot of the, so this is a pretty well-traveled place, Kettlebury State Park. So I knew if I left this stuff there, somebody would use it, right? So I took out whatever the clothes I didn't think I needed and this and that and I did tuck my gym shoes in and I put the boots on because the weather was changing and this, this and that. Uh, I kept some of the food and, you know, I probably took 40, 45 pounds out and now it was much lighter. This is the stuff that was my stuff though, that I decided to put in there. And that big decision was so important to me because I had lightened my load by a decision not to carry other people's stuff. And it came to me that the beliefs that I held about 90% of how life is had been given to be by somebody else without even knowing it. Listen, we come to this life as a clean slate, in my opinion, wide open. And then little by little, this stuff gets slapped on us, you know? And there isn't one human being, even the ones we say these are evil people that started out this way, this was put on them. I do not hold the belief that you showed up with evil in your heart. I, I hold the belief that we're a blank slate and somewhere these influences turn out to create who you are. And if you don't undo what's been done, you're up shit creek. That's how it works for me. So the load was lighter. The road got smoother. Even though the weather got worse, I didn't feel it as much because the load had gotten a whole lot lighter. And I got to tell you, uh, when I got to that last hundred mile mark, I kind of turned around and looked at where I had been. And I couldn't believe how far I had come. And I'm not talking about the physical miles, but the spiritual miles and the emotional miles and uh, the psychological miles that had been crossed in that time, those three months that I walked. And it was like the biggest therapy I could ever have undertaken without knowing I needed to do that. And do you know that every great and good thing in my life came out of that time, of that go on the radio, this walk that I took, and especially getting to the top of Kettle Moraine State Park and dumping out all the stuff I didn't need. And the reason this is also prevalent is because the last couple of days, also I've been working on this Hunley book, and when I work on something, my studio kind of goes to the shithouse. I mean, stuff gets piled up in here. I don't even know where it comes from because I don't pay attention to all that. I'm so burrowed in to the project. I don't realize how much stuff stacked on my desk mail and I got a screwdriver sitting here and I got, you know, a pair of socks in case my feet get cold and half my desk turns into a deli because I sit and work and eat at the same time. So yesterday it was nice out. I opened the windows and I cleaned and I actually, you know, cleaned the desk, took everything off and cleaned everything. It's much better and clearer in here. It's the same concept. Everything that's get cluttered around me, I didn't even notice it. And then when I stood back and say, what the hell is going on here? Time to clean that up. 
And that really, to me, is the essence of change in our lives, is cleaning up the clutter. And a lot of this stuff, it's none of your business, none of my business. I didn't put it there. I don't want it there. It's time to go. That's what goodwill is for me. It's like, look, and I haven't worn this stuff in I don't know how long. One day I'll fit into those pants. Yeah, okay, sure. So that stuff just goes. And now my, my space here is a lot clearer. This space is clear now, right? And along with it, I feel lighter. So while I still have work to do on this project, the energy that's created from the clarity of cleaning this space out I feel a lot lighter about it. I feel much better about, like I got the heavy lifting out of the way. The, the long part of the walk is done. So this last 100 miles thing was so prevalent to me because that's when most of the lessons made sense. That's when I could at least be ready to, to take those on. And Billy had a really interesting comment. And he says, well, you know, do you think we all have walks to take? I said, well, sure. You know, whether you're aware of it or not, I don't know. And I'm not talking about a physical walk, but we all have these journeys. And where you're at now is certainly not where you started from. Nobody was dropped off on the planet in their present form like we are now. It takes this, this molding process and the chopping away. You know, there's a, a theory from the, the Chinese literature called the uncarved block. And that, and that we come in as this uncarved block. And things get chopped away and chopped away to slowly, over time, reveal who we are. And that's how it works for me. So what I wanted to do this morning is to remind you that you're on your journey and you're on your walk. And your boots look a little different than mine, but you definitely have boots that you've used. And the, the, the twists and turns and the ups and downs and the ins and outs and the pain and the gain, the joy and the sorrow, all of that stuff chops away to make you who you are. And then you have to find out who that person really is and then act from that point. We are not what we do. It's just what we do. What we do and who you are are two different things. Don't ever confuse them. Because when you stop doing it, you think you're nobody. And so many people do a job for decades, and when they stop, they have no idea who they are. Because they've been doing something for so long. Your job is to be a human being, not a human doing. There's a difference. So, this is the last paragraph of the chapter 11 in uh, Every Moment Matters called the last hundred miles. And I surely wasn't going to read this whole thing. And by the way, I started in September. I ended up the day before in Thanksgiving finishing my, my great and good friend, Bruce Hardwick, uh, who has just been a, a spiritual brother to me, uh, all these years. He's the, he, he and his wife, Pat owned the motel we lived in for that year. They don't do it anymore, but, uh, he came to stay with me the last hundred miles. He drove down in his car I'll get to that paragraph in a second, but he drove down with his car and he followed me the last hundred miles back north. He's the one that said, listen, you're having this vision. You have a choice and you could just stay here and drink coffee with me and all is good. Or you can see what door number two has. And I took door number two and opened everything up and he came down for those last hundred miles and he had this little Dodge. I can't remember the name of the car, Dodge. I don't remember. It's kind of a, this little blue car, this little blue Dodge. And he would drive behind me and follow me as I walked trudging north. And one day, I'll never forget, we were about 35 miles, about 25, about 30 miles, maybe 25, 30 miles south of where I needed to go, moving from Wisconsin into Upper Michigan. And keeping true to form, we stopped this one day. I had walked, I don't know, 20 miles. And we drove ahead to the motel, 25 miles. And then the next morning, drove back to where I stopped, and we I walked the same route we just had driven, 
And shortly after that, uh, the walk ended on its own. And um, I'll never forget it. It's impossible. It was, it was the defining, I've had a lot of moments. This was a defining moment in my life to take that walk and to understand that I was been given something to do. And if I don't do it, I get spiritually constipated. You know, all this stuff that I do, the books and the talks and the radio, and all, it's because I said I would do it. What else am I going to do? Not do it? This is what I came here to do. And I do it on a lot of different levels because I'm supposed to. And it always has reaped benefits. It's not always been easy. Rarely is it easy, but that's not the point. Life is hard. That's the point. And you go through what you have to go through to be carved into something better than when you started. It's not what happens to you that matters. It's what you do about it that counts. Here's the last paragraph in chapter 11. There will always be periods when it seems if you're not getting anywhere and life is a bore. Yet you find that by putting one foot in front of the other, not letting someone else fill your pack, and having the courage to follow the vision that is given to you, you can live your dreams. As a matter of fact, that's what you're being called to do. On the trip, you'll find out that the light the world needs shines from you, but can only reveal if you peel back the layers and get down to the truth of who you are. While it's easy to be lonely in a world filled with despair and pain, you are, in fact, not alone and never have been. How are you going to do it? Never mind that. Why you take the walk is far more important. Your path is calling. Can you hear it? That chapter ends with a uh, quote from John Muir who said, I went out for a walk and finally concluded to stay out till sundown. For going out, I found I was really going in. I'm going to drop this off with uh, a great song from my friend Mark Cleveland who uh, wrote this around the time that the three of us took the walk. And uh, he's an incredible artist and musician and a brother to me. And I thought this was the perfect way uh, to send you off today. Until next time, be well, safe travels, keep the faith. Adios. Even if the rain so might kill me, it's in my blood. To get up and walk, even if the rain so might kill me, it's in my blood. To get up and walk, even if the rain so might kill me, it's in my blood. Get up and walk, even if the rain's so my kill me. It's in my blood to get up and walk. Well, an old man sitting by the side of the road, full moon was burning bright. He told me of an old way. Another path to take if I just get up and walk If I just get up and walk His eyes were screaming starlight His hair was screaming white He flew in from the north wind His form was made of light He said get up and walk He said get up and walk And then he said even if there ain't so much, can we? It's in my blood. Get up and walk. Even if there ain't so much, can we? It's in my blood. Get up and walk. Even if there ain't so much, can we? It's in my blood. Get up and walk. Even if there ain't so much, can we? It's in my blood. Get up and walk.
cornfield In the center was a mound of clay He stopped the dance around it And the drums began to play I got up and walked And I got up and walked And 14,000 dancers With turtle shells and bones And feathers from an eagle My brothers turned to stone Got up and walked They just got up and walked And they said Even if there ain't so much Give me it's in my blood Get up and walk Even if there ain't so much Give me it's in my blood Get up and walk Even if there ain't so much Give me it's in my blood Get up and walk Even if there ain't so much Give me it's in my blood To get up and walk To a fire, you blew up with the smoke. He sang a song of a solid key. It's then that I awoke. I got up and walked. I just got up and walked. He said, He said it's in your blood. You've got to get up and walk. He said it's in your blood. You've got to get up and walk. He said it's in your blood. You've got to get up and walk. He said it's in your blood. You've got to get up.